Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Thursday, May the 10th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we get to know rookie cornerback, sixth-round draft pick Cornell Armstrong. We discuss the merits of Adam Gaze's ability to adapt his offense, and are the Dolphins shaking up their philosophy as far as prototypes go? Also, we'll project the snap counts of the skill players on offense this year and make a couple of big announcements to end the show. But first, I have to remind you guys, go and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You guys know the drill. That helps the podcast get bigger and get out to more Dolphins. Give me a follow on Twitter, at NFL. Voted the best follow on Dolphins Twitter and the show at Locked On Fins. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network. Big things coming for us there as well. And the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast, for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Let's get going. This first down here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, and we are talking about rookie cornerback Cornell Armstrong, taken in the sixth round out of the University of Southern Mississippi. He breaks a prototype for the Miami Dolphins, what they've been doing over the years at the cornerback position. You look at the three guys that they have primarily right now on the perimeter, obviously Xavier Howard, Cordray Tankersley, and Tony Lippett all go over six feet tall. Howard is at six feet, but he's built more stocky and more thick. And then Tony Lippett is 6'3 and lankier, I should say. And then you have Cordray Tankersley, who's somewhere in between at 6'1", but also has some bulk to him. But Cornell Armstrong is 5'10", 5'11", 190 pounds, so he's kind of more the Xavier Howard build. But it, it kind of further proves a shift in the decision-making process, or possibly does, in terms of what the Dolphins have decided to go forward with from the guys in the personnel department. And we talked about it on yesterday's podcast a lot. There was an article about it with Mike Tannenbaum and how there could be a philosophical shift coming, and this just might further prove it. And you, you might say the sixth-round pick doesn't really do a whole lot by that, but at the same time, he was the one cornerback they added, and Jalen Davis, the undrafted free agent, is the, in the same mold as well. So there could be a shift coming in terms of what the Dolphins look for in prototypes it certainly is happening at linebacker going from less bulkier guys the bill parcells mantra of you know bigger and stronger rather than going for speed and athleticism dolphins kind of making that shift so you could see a lot of norm breakers coming down the pipeline as they've already happened for the dolphins in this season alone so armstrong a very feisty corner very willing tackler he plays the ball very aggressively in the air he gets into phase and man coverage and phases when you get on that inside hip and and just basically trail it wherever it goes he had five interceptions in his career 29 pass breakups which is pretty good ball production 34 plays he made on the football in a four-year career he has a quick trigger coming out of the zone we talked about his aggressive and willing tackling it makes him a likely candidate for a special teams and possibly the next special teams ace the Dolphins will have to replace this year as we obviously we lost Michael Thomas so Walt Aikens might need a new partner on special teams there and this guy seems like in his rookie year could battle for one of those positions but there just really isn't a lot of information on him so I had to scour the internet a little bit no really good quotes there's a couple of videos but nothing like the NFL draft breakdown ones you get in terms of full games with the audio coverage and all that stuff you can do the breakdowns on there was just some 
some measly little highlight films here and there. But you look at his pro football focus stats, he allowed only 37% of the passes targeted in his direction to be completed on him, and he allowed a passer rating of just 52.7 in the college level. That is a minuscule number for the gaudy stats we've seen in college football over the years. But he is a small conference guy. He is a late round draft pick. Don't want to get your hopes up too much for him, but you can definitely see where he might battle for a roster spot on the back end. You obviously already have the top four guys pretty well solidified right now. We talked about it on camp battles yesterday, and I think that it's pretty clear to me that it's going to be Xavier Howard, Cordray Tankersley, and Bobby McCain as your three primaries with Tony Lippett, the first guy off the bench in four wide sets. And then Armstrong's going to have to battle with Torrey McTire and then Jordan Lucas, the draft pick out of Penn State a couple of years ago, as well as a couple of roster additions in the winter, I I guess if that's what you want to call it. Tracy Howard and Tavise Calhoun are both on the roster as well. An undrafted free agent, Jalen Davis out of Utah State. So there's some company there to be had. There's going to be one more guy that has to join those big four. Might even have six cornerbacks. We'll see how the roster shakes out. But Cornell Armstrong, like I said, let's go over it again. Feisty, willing tackler, can play the football in the air. Good in both zone and man. But unchallenged in terms of the competition he faced in college and really another guy they're trying to project in terms of athletic value going forward. He ranked very well on the RAS scorecard once again, just like all the other Dolphins draft picks. But we have more to get to on these rookies. I'm going to go ahead and compile the two episodes with Jason Sanders and Quentin Pulling tomorrow. It's going to be a brief segment for you guys. I just don't have a lot on those guys, so we'll make it into one and do a extended podcast in terms of other information like we're going to do on today's podcast as we're going to get into Adam Gaze's offense next on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast here at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. Again, I want to extend apologies for those that were expecting more for Cornell Armstrong. Like I said, there's just not a lot out there. The big blue blood programs always have great quotes, weekly articles, all this stuff. I found several things from the Hattiesburg Address, I believe it was called, covering his football team down there, the Golden Eagles of Southern Miss. He comes over where Patrick Sertan came from too, so hopefully there's a good lineage there. But let's go ahead and move on to a different topic here and talk about a project I'm starting to work on, and we'll announce that here at the end of the show. But just basically going over Adam Gay and his offense and what he's been able to do from an adaptation standpoint from different personnel, different skill sets, and different types of players and personalities he has to deal with. And the biggest shift he ever had to deal with is a pretty clear one, going from Tim Tebow in Denver, where he was the quarterback's coach at the time, but obviously had a lot to do with that. Obviously, you hear about John Filippo getting a lot of credit for his work with the quarterbacks in Philadelphia, gets promoted to an offensive coordinator position with the Minnesota Vikings now, and I'm sure he'll be a head coach someday. So that's kind of the path that Adam Gaze took through Denver, going from quarterbacks coach to offensive coordinator and now head coach of the Miami Dolphins. But he had Tim Tebow the year that they won that playoff game with a the most limited quarterback in NFL history, at least one that had expectations laid upon him based upon his draft status but he went from an offense that was zone read option heavy you know different little flats and curls and and flood routes and all the stuff that they had to do to maximize Tebow's ability as a runner and as a just a gamer in general and then they go to Peyton Manning and become a record-breaking offense when it actually was Adam Gaze's offense that he was coordinating from the top position there so You go from just completely polarizing offensive sets. He comes to Miami, and we all heard it in the beginning in 2016 that he wanted to run this tempo, hurry-up type based offense that was all out of the shotgun. It was primary 11 personnel base, three receivers in the set, one tight end, one back. Even when they were down late in the games, when they had Arian Foster and Jordan Cameron, those guys were still splitting out wide in the five wide sets if they would go empty. It was still a running back because the receiver in the Seattle game, for instance, 
behind Kenny Stills, Jarvis Landry, Leonte Carew was Justin Hunter, who was there for about a week. And I'm pretty sure he was the only guy they even dressed. So they had to go in that 11 personnel without even being able to bring in other receivers. So it was exclusively shotgun 11 personnel, three by one a lot of the time where you have three receivers to one side and nobody on the backside of the set. And then you go to the final drive of that Seattle game, for instance, and he incorporates some more under center play action boot type principles with 12 personnel with two tight ends as Deion Sims came into the game. And what do they do? They go out and get 29 yards in the first two plays that were both under center, 12 personnel, and it set up the entire drive and put the defense on its heels. We've heard Tony Romo talk about this in his broadcast, how the first play of a drive is such a good opportunity to take advantage of a... I suppose, run-centric base type of defense where you can pass into open windows and you can get big chunk plays on those and it just creeps a feeling of doubt into the defense's mind. Like we just gave up 12, 15 yards in the first play. We were come, you know, ready to come out here and shut these guys down to a two-yard carry or less, but they come out and hit us with a pass over the middle that we weren't necessarily prepared for. And now all of a sudden you have other options in your mind. Start thinking about that curveball, so to speak, to use a baseball term when you have a guy that throws fire and gas like 99 mile an hour speed. He can come back with that backdoor slider or curveball and just throw the timing of the hitter off. It works the same way in football and play calling. So they really adapted the offense as the season went on. The Dolphins weren't capable of playing with that pace and rhythm that Adam Gaze won from his offense that he had with Peyton Manning, who obviously was a PhD in every offense he ever played for. But they actually started to return back to that more hurry up shotgun 31 uh, three by one 11 personnel offense as the year went on and we saw it come to effect more late in the year with the San Diego game for instance the San Francisco game for instance the Arizona Cardinals game where Tannehill did take the injury but it really had to because the run centric based offense just wasn't working you guys all recall Jay Ajayi had several big games the Miami Dolphins three 200 yard games and no doubt will never ever dispute the fact that Jay Ajayi without him that Dolphins team didn't go to the playoffs in 2016. I am the first person to admit that and I have no problem saying that. It's a fact. That's how I base this podcast and all my work around facts as well as opinions I draw from the film and everything that goes into it. But JHI was an integral part to that team in 2016. But you go into those three games, San Diego, San Francisco, Arizona, he had 172 yards on 57 carries. That's a three yards per carry average. In those three games, Tannehill posted ratings of 130.6, 130.6 again, the exact same rating, and then 124.0. And there was only a handful of guys that posted ratings over 124 in the league that year. Tannehill was one of two guys that had three or more ratings higher than that. So a very impressive individual game performance when the running game was not clicking whatsoever. And I just saw another tweet as I'm recording this that referred to the fact that while defenses were stacking the boxes. No, they weren't. You you can't just lay blanket statements on things like that because that wasn't the case. The the touchdown I'm talking about in the Arizona game to Kenny Stills is a perfect example of an 11 personnel three by one set where Kenny Stills has to even and out of zone coverage and finds a hole in the zone and Ryan Tannehill rips it and puts it right where it had to be for a touchdown pass for 24 yards or something like that. So don't just look at things on the surface and the numbers and the words. Look at the film and you can see how things stack up. And it just it's not always cut and dry, black and white like that. So he had big games when the running game wasn't working. And he also had games where he played well when the running game was working. So he's an adaptable quarterback. Adam Gaze is an adaptable coach. And this is an offensive coach that has coached record-breaking offenses in the past. He has devised successful plans for Tim Tebow. He has shown a propensity to be receptive to player suggestions within the game. The very thing that Doug Peterson was lauded for with Nick Foles on the Philly special. Now, don't get this mistaken for me saying that Adam Gaze is Doug Peterson, a Super 
Super Bowl champion winning quarterback or head coach, I should say, but it's the same characteristic trait that we all kind of love Doug Peterson for. And we heard the notes about Ryan Tannehill making those suggestions and in that game when the Dolphins offense was just sputtering all day, couldn't get anything going. They had a couple of field goals on the board, had a blocked field goal, and then Tannehill goes up, makes a suggestion, says we can do a couple of these things. And what do they do? Boom, boom, boom. 13.6 yards per play on that drive, an 82-yard drive on six plays for a touchdown to take the lead before Russell Wilson ripped our hearts out and did what he normally does. So the personnel in those first two years, 2016-2017, it just was wasn't good enough to execute the vision that Gaze has going back to Mike March's offense and where he really learned the craft of the offense back with the Detroit Lions after the greater show on turf in St. Louis. But now he has the personnel to make all that stuff happen. He has the plethora of running backs. He has the athletic tight end, the inline blocking tight end, the wide tight ends. He has a interchangeable slew of receivers that can do things from the slot, from the perimeter, speed guys, screen guys, whatever you want to call it. He has his personnel this year. There's not a superstar in the bunch, but it's such a well-balanced and well-orchestrated offense that he has what he needs to make the offense work in 2018. So it's going to be a really fun year. I can't wait for it. We've got one more segment on this podcast. And in that segment, we'll project the snap counts of the 10 skill players we just referenced that I'm predicting will make the opening day roster next on Lockdown Dolphins at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. One more segment here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, and I kicked the idea around of really getting into the weeds on this one, and I I sort of did. I did my minimal research in terms of finding out what snap counts we could expect to see from the primary skill position guys. And if you keep five receivers, three tight ends, three running backs, that's obviously 11 players, but I don't think your third tight end can really factor into the equation all that much. Maybe he does. Marquise Gray is my projection for that right now. Of course, the three running backs, I think you could see a good split there with Kalen Balazs and Frank Gorges because one obviously is a rookie that might not play a lot right away. The other is a 35-year-old running back veteran that has been so reliable, but how much more does he actually have in the tank? So I think there could be a shift at midseason there at some point. And then like we talked about with the receivers, just who knows? I, I really don't know beyond Kenny Stills what it's going to look like in 2018. That's what makes it exciting for me. But these are some very crude, somewhat half-baked, but based in some research type of numbers. I'm going to go ahead and lay on you guys here. Now, Mike March was the originator of this offense like we talked about. You go back to the greatest show on turf with the St. Louis Rams and then forward to the Detroit Lions where he taught Adam Gaze the offense coming up from the college game to the pro ranks in Adam Gaze. And there was a lot of 21 personnel they ran out that year with the, with the Rams, I should say, Marshall Falk being the linchpin of that entire offense, Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, all those guys that really really played extremely well for a long period of time there with Kurt Warner. But there was another running back in the fold though that chipped in as well. So they actually were able to use two back sets. They split the quarterback and shotgun quite often. And there's a couple of good videos posted by CK Parrott on Twitter. Maybe it's on Twitter, maybe it's on a message board. I can't remember. Showing this offense and how they operated. And to me, I see a, a good opportunity to get Kenyon Drake and Kalen Balazs, maybe even Frank Gore on the field, both flanking Ryan Tannehill in the backfield. You can do it with Jakeem Grant. You can do it with Albert Wilson. There are so many options for this offense in 2018. And I just, I love the 12 personnel look with the two tight ends with Gasecki and Durham Smythe. I love the five, five wide receiver look, the empty set, just so many options you can go to. And it speaks to the, a continuation of the last segment 
in a way, talking about how the offense will look way different than anything we've seen the last two years. So going position by position, first thing you have to realize is there are 5,000 snaps to be had. This is based on a 1,000 snap offense, which is 63 snaps per game, about the NFL average, five positions to give them to. So let's go ahead and talk about what we think the, the position could look like. I, I just, these are so crude, so please forgive me. At running back, I have Kenyon Drake with 600, Frank Gore with 300, and then Kalen Balaj with 250. That gives me the running backs with 1,150 total snaps. And like I said, this is so convoluted in how many options you can do in terms of personnel sets, whether you go two tight ends and a running back, two running backs, no tight ends, five wide, just a plethora of options. So keep that in mind. Running backs at 1,150 snaps would be 23% of the total offensive snaps. At tight end, I have Mike Kosicki with 600, Durham Smythe with 300, and Marquise Gray with 150. So that's 21% of the offense at 1,050 snaps. And that one, I again, no real idea there. I think they could scale back the tight end just because they're rookies, try to work them in in different ways, keep them fresh throughout the course of a long rookie season. I realize that Julius Thomas and Jordan Cameron got so much run the last two years, but I think there could be more variation in the offense, which makes me pull the tight end reins back a little bit. And then you go to wide receiver, and it's even more confusing. The one that I'm pretty sure of is Kenny Stills playing the majority of the snaps. And by that, I'm going to say 80%. I'm going to give Kenny Stills 800 snaps, which is actually a step down from what he's had the last couple of years. Again, more variety, more options on the offense. And then Albert Wilson is my number two guy. He's going to get 600 reps in this offense, 60% player. And then this is the one where I'm probably going to get a lot of pushback on. Devontae Parker, 500 reps. He is the one player that I took into account injuries to factor into all this because it's going to happen. Some of these guys are going to get banged up and these snap counts won't be accurate because of that. But Devontae Parker has missed time in each of his first three seasons as a pro. So I think it would be kind of negligent to not include injuries into his factor. Plus the sense that maybe they're kind of phasing him out. I know he got the fifth year extension, but I just don't know what to expect in terms of their expectations from a guy that caught one touchdown and 600 passing yards in 2017 from Jay Cutler. So you go down to Jakeem Grant. I have him at 500 as well, more of a specialist type of guy, but he's going to get plenty of looks to make things happen for himself. And then Danny Amendola at 400. Again, injuries can factor into that. I didn't really consider it there, but I just think that as the year goes on, they're going to realize that Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant are far superior players at this point in their respective careers and will get more looks accordingly. So you have the tight ends with 1150, the running backs with 1050, and then the wide receivers with 2800 reps on the offense to fill out your 5000 reps. Like I said, tons of variation, going to be tons of nuance in this offense and a completely revitalized group from what we've seen in the last couple of years. And that will put a bow on this edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We've got one more this week before the weekend, and we'll have Ian Wharton at NFL Film Study on Twitter of Bleacher Report joining for Sunday's podcast. Just kind of recapping the offseason so far with him. We've had him on several times, and people seem to enjoy those podcasts. He gives a great insight into the Miami Dolphins as well as specific positions like quarterback and cornerbacks on defense. So other couple of big announcements. I talked about it and that's kind of where this offensive stuff came from. I shared a couple of things on Twitter about it, but I'm working on a new Ryan Tannehill project that everyone loves to see and read about. Of course, the quarterback is the one that everyone wants to talk about, but Rather than going back to his old seasons like I was doing the 2012 and 2013 charts, I'm going to go ahead and just do 2016 and really expand on the charting there and actually plot every throw that he makes, whether it was incompletion, a completion, a drop, an off-target throw, a pick, a touchdown, a pass breakup, talk about the formation, the alignment, 
the ball location, the down and distance, the red zone, third down, all the stuff that you want to know about Ryan Tannehill's 2016 season and how Adam Gaze altered the offense around him that year with GIFs. It's going to be one post at a time. Every day we're going to post a new one when it's all said and done. So you have 13 consecutive days of Ryan Tannehill charting GIFs and all that stuff coming up this summer on LockedOnDolphins.com. And that preludes into my next announcement. This is going to be my full-time job going forward here very shortly. We've hit some very good news, hit some very good numbers, and have big things coming in the pipeline for LockedOnDolphins.com, as well as the Locked On Network in general. But that will do it for today's podcast, guys. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins, and follow our flagship show at Locked On NFL, both on Twitter and Facebook. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a terrific rest of your Thursday night. Back tomorrow with another edition of Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Yeah.